El Extraordinario. Extraordinario. Okay, can you tell us your name and occupation, please? Um, sure. Um, my name is Lorena Ruiz. I work at the Prado Museum in Madrid, and I studied art history with Clara before she moved to London. We met at university, and we've been friends ever since. I haven't forgotten you, Clara Torres. I'm digging in every remnant I can find of your past, but something is missing. I still don't understand what you were looking for. I reached out to Lorena, the only friend of yours Alex knows. She said she hadn't heard from you in a long time, but she agreed to talk to me. Alex and David told me Clara always kept herself and was really, really secretive. <laughs> that would be putting it mildly. <laughs> I want to, well, I'm trying to understand her a bit better. Can you tell me how you two met? Well, that's quite a story. I sat next to her on the first day of class because it was the only seat left. I said hello when I sat down and she didn't even answer me. I don't even think she looked at me, to be honest. <sighs> then during the class, I noticed a tattoo she had on her forearm. It was an ancient Greek word, nostos. Nostos? Yes. And what does that mean? Well, the literal translation would be homecoming. Um, it was used to refer to a hero's return. You know, a hero's homecoming after an epic journey. For instance, the Odyssey is a prime example of Nostos because it's about the obstacles that Ulysses had to overcome in order to make it back home. Ah, okay, got it. Anyway, when I saw that word tattooed on Clara's arm, I just came up with, are you returning from a journey? And her face lit up as she turned to me and said, I'm trying to. And that was it. We were BFFs for the next four years. <laughs> it's as if you said a magic set of words. <laughs> I know, right? That's how bookworms make friends. We quote Homer. <laughs> I see. To be honest, I surprised myself when I recognized that word. I didn't know that much ancient Greek when I started my degree, unlike Clara, who was like a walking encyclopedia. Really? Yeah. I mean, her parents were professors of ancient Greek and Latin. They died in a car crash when she was 12. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, um, well, I'm not surprised. It's, it's not something Clara shared with many people. When her parents died, she moved in with her grandmother and, well, let's just say they didn't really see eye to eye. She died a couple years ago. Oh. I feel like Clara read her parents' books as a way to get closer to them. Makes sense. The problem is that she was trapped in that world. Her social life was practically non-existent and she was really awkward around people. Mm -hmm. I invited her to parties at uni to get her out of her shell, but she'd never show up. You know, I, I don't think she ever got over the trauma of losing her parents. She had panic attacks now and again, and she was on medication to treat her anxiety. Poor thing. Yeah. I, I remember this one time when the two of us were hanging out at her place, sharing a bottle of rum, and... And I don't know what got into her that night, but she got really emotional. She, she took out a photo album from when she was little. It broke my heart. They looked like such a happy family in the pictures, and she just seemed like a completely different person back then. I distinctly remember thinking, okay, that's her, Ithaca. Oh, uh, what do you mean? Well, Ithaca's the island that Ulysses returns to. 
And I think Clara wanted to go back there. She wanted to return to the time in her life when she was happy. I see. I really miss her, you know. Did you talk to her often before she disappeared? Not really, no. We drifted apart. She went to London to do NMA and we were both so busy that we lost touch. I know she was completely obsessed with her thesis and I followed her trip to Switzerland on Instagram oh, and- yeah. I noticed that there's a photo on her Instagram where you can see a fragment of her tattoo. The one with the Greek letters and No, the... no, I know the photo you mean, but that's, that's another tattoo. A different one? Yeah. She's got a quote by Thales of Miletus on her other arm. It says something like, all things are full of gods. What does that even mean? <sighs> I'm not so sure. I don't even think Aristotle understood what he meant by that. Maybe, maybe he was saying that everything has a soul, or that divine creation is present in all things. Hmm. It's one of those quotes that can be interpreted in so many different ways. And what do you think it meant to Clara? Well, she never said, but I, I think maybe it meant something like hope. Or that maybe there's something more, that the universe has some kind of meaning. I, I wish I could ask her. I'd like to think... I'd like to think that she's doing well, wherever she is. Lorena falls silent and turns away, lost in thought. It almost feels like she's looking for her friend. I try to think of something that could cheer her up, but before I do, she turns back to me. I don't know. I guess no news is good news. We'd know if something bad had happened to her, right? For sure. After chatting with Lorena, I jump onto a train to Lugano. The journey takes a couple of hours, and when I arrive in the city, I feel like I've moved to another country. I'm recording this in February, but it looks like summer here. Judging by the buildings and the clothes people are wearing, it's hard to think that I'm still in Switzerland. They call this city Little Italy, and if someone told me this was a small village on the Amalfi Coast, I would be inclined to believe them. The only difference is that it looks out onto a lake instead of the sea, making everything more picture perfect. I'm here to visit the Masi Lugano, the Museum of Swiss Italian Art, which displays the last painting by Ursula Bloom that I want to see. The museum is pretty empty when I arrive because it's a weekday. I head straight to the permanent collection. The artworks range from the second half of the 19th century to the first half of the 20th century. The gallery has an impressive floor-to-ceiling window that looks out onto Lake Lugano, with Mount San Salvatore in the background. The view is a work of art in itself, and there are a couple of chairs facing the window to take it all in. I stop to look at the scenery for a minute, and it's so bright and so peaceful that I feel like I could stay here forever. The mountain I'm looking at is depicted in a lot of the paintings in the gallery, including the one by Ursula Bloom. Dulce Cano is the painting she never got to finish. The mountain is in the center of the canvas, its outline barely visible, surrounded by the bulk colors of the trees and the water in the lake. There are birds in this painting too, like in all of Ursula's artworks. It's no less stunning than the rest of her paintings, and the fact that it's unfinished allows me to dig deep into Ursula's creative process. This is what Mario tells me as we walk along the shore of the lake. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> no, not at all. It gives me the chance to see a bit more of the city. Great. It's a beautiful park, you see. 
Anyway, as I was saying, there's a... Uh, excuse me, I have to take this. Sure, go ahead. Dimi. Mario is one of the curators of Masi's permanent exhibition. When I called him at the museum, he told me he had an appointment with someone else, but he agreed to talk to me on the way to his meeting, which took us through one of the city's parks. Sorry about that. Uh, a colleague needed my help. No problem. Where was I? Oh yes, uh, Dulce Cano. It took us a long time to get that painting loaned to us for the exhibition. You may have noticed that the mountain in front of us appears in the painting. Yes, Monte San Salvatore. That's right. The entire collection focuses on artworks by painters from Ticino or painters who lived in this region for some time. But Ursula painted it when she lived in Geneva. I know, but she spent some time here after World War I. In Lugano? Close by, in a village called Morcote, a bit further south from here. She lived there for about uh, two years. During that period, the whole area became a sanctuary for artists. Although, it appears, she became well known here for reasons that had nothing to do with her painting. Did you know about her music therapy? Yeah, I read that she used it to treat trauma patients at the field hospital. That's right. They say she carried on doing it after the war. By then, she'd been here for a while, and one day she met a family who had a little girl who'd lost her ability to speak for about uh, three or four years. Before the family moved to Lugano, they lived in France, and the girl's father had been killed right in front of her eyes. But when did that happen? During the war? Yes. They say that Ursula was deeply moved by the story of that girl. One day, after Mass had ended, she was standing outside the church of Santa Maria del Sasso, and Ursula walked up to her and whispered a song in her ear, and the girl recovered her ability to speak. Really? <laughs> That's what they say. It's like a modern-day miracle, right? There are several versions of the story, though. Some people say Ursula didn't actually sing, but rather used a sort of um, carillon to heal her. A carillon? Yes, you know, those little boxes that have a melody inside. When you open them, they, they make a sound. A music box? That's right, a music box. I've also heard some people say it was all a sham. That family and Ursula were in cahoots together, you know. Whatever it may be, not long after that, Ursula vanished. I'm not surprised the poor thing painted this lake later on in her life. It really is a wonderful place to live, with or without miracles. What do you make of it? I find it a bit strange that they didn't mention this when you visited Ursula's room in Geneva. I know. They also said nothing about her alleged miracle, or that Ursula had spent some time in Lugano. The lady that showed me around did say that not much was known about that period of her life. They believed that Ursula had moved back in with her family in St. Gallen once the war had ended. Well, that may still be true. What do you mean? Well, I mean, that's what they told you when you asked about the music in Geneva. The woman said that all the information they had there was verified. I guess. But the man I spoke to from Masi even knew which village Ursula had lived in. I mean, why else would she have painted that landscape of Lugano? And let's not forget the missing pages from her notebook. Don't you find it strange? I'm not sure. Don't you think those pages may have been about the time she lived here in Lugano? Or any number of things they wanted to keep secret? Whoa, hold your horses. Uh, you have no idea who removed those pages or why they did so. You're right. I don't know that. Maybe they were torn accidentally or they were in poor shape. It just feels... Remember when we went to Graceland and they told us the story of Elvis's life as if he was some kind of saint? And they didn't even mention his drug use or addictions. Yeah. 
Well, this is basically the same, except that in this case, it's about scores and music therapy. For some reason, they just don't want to talk about that stage of Ursula's life. And I have a feeling that's the part that Clara was interested in. That could be true, but we're yet to find any proof. Didn't you say that you were going to go to St. Gallen at some point? Yeah, I'm going there tomorrow to meet a historian who works in the town's abbey. But I'll make a quick stop in Winter Tour on the way there. Winter Tour? Yeah, remember Christina? Isn't she that friend of Amanda's? The one who loves museums? Exactly. She told me there's an exhibition of old photos, and Ursula Bloom is in some of them. There are also old photos of her with the other Blue Rider painters in another museum in Lausanne. But tomorrow I'll start in Winter Tour. It's not far from St. Gallen. Okay, let me know how it goes. Where are you now? I can hear the sound of water in the background. In the small square opposite the Lion Monument. I like to come and sit here when I go for an afternoon run. There's something special about this place. Is that the sculpture we saw on Clara's Instagram? That's it, yeah. I think Ursula Bloom also mentions it in her notebook. Although she describes it in her usual cryptic style. Oh, uh, now that you mention her writings, I spoke to Alex's Swiss friend, that woman who lives here, remember? Yeah. I asked her to record the parts where you read Ursula Bloom's quotes so listeners can hear the text read in German in the background. Do you think that'll work? Wait and see. It's going to sound amazing. Death dances on the surface of the lake, encircled by mountains. And as the lion succumbs to the reaper, his sad song reaches my ears. Alas, it is not the lion who weeps. The lament is coming from the earth. I'm sure Ursula wrote that about Lucerne. Near where I'm sitting, there's a wooden bridge that crosses the lake, with wooden panels that depict scenes of death. A memento mori of sorts. And I bet the lion from the quote is the one I'm looking at now. It's a huge sculpture of a wounded lion that has been carved out of a wall of sandstone rock. The monument was sculpted in 1819 to commemorate the almost 1,000 mercenary soldiers from the Swiss Guard who lost their lives during the French Revolution. There's a pond under the lion's lair, and the scene couldn't be any more melancholic. I'm not exaggerating. Mark Twain described the lion as the most mournful and moving piece of stone in the world. I, however, think it's quite peaceful. I go back to the photo of the lion that Clara posted on her Insta, and I notice that she captioned it with a single word, nostalgia. I remember her tattoo of the word nostos, and I wonder if there's any relation between the two. The search results bring up an odd story, and I feel like Clara left it there for me, next to the lion. It turns out the word nostalgia is actually a medical term coined in 1688 by a Swiss medical student. It's formed by a combination of the Greek words nostos, which means homecoming, and algos, meaning suffering or pain. It was used as the official name for an affliction also known as mal du Suisse, which troubled the mercenaries of the Swiss guard who were serving abroad and yearned for their mountains. Typically, the disease started when the mercenaries heard the rons de vache, a melody that Swiss farmers used to call in the cattle. In a complete dictionary of music, the philosopher Rousseau wrote, this beloved Swiss melody was banned under pain of death because it made whoever heard it burst into tears, desert or die. So great a desire did it arouse in them to see their homeland once more. This morning I took a train to Winter Tour, which took me back to winter time. I get there early, before the photo museum opens and I walk around the main street of the old town where the pastel-colored buildings make me feel like I've entered a fairy tale again. 
Winter Tour is a small city with a rich industrial past that in recent years has reinvented itself as something of a cultural hub. As I make my way toward my destination, I wander around Sulzer Ariel, which used to harbor a large steelworks. One ticket, please. The photo museum hosts temporary exhibitions by photographers from around the world. But they've recently opened a show dedicated to Swiss photography pioneers that Christina says I need to see. I've read that photography became widespread in Switzerland during the second half of the 19th century. It makes sense, because it was the perfect way to showcase their stunning landscapes to the world. On the other hand, there were lots of wealthy entrepreneurs in Switzerland, and the local photography studios made good money taking portraits of their families. It was all part of a craze that spread through Europe, where members of the high society exchanged portraits with each other that served as visiting cards, and people would collect them in photo albums. When I walk into the gallery, it's almost pitch black, and it takes my eyes a few seconds to get used to the darkness. The only lights in the gallery are pointed at the rows of photographs. It's also really early. There's only one other person in here besides me. A couple of the portraits are actually quite funny. The subjects pose holding random objects with surreal backdrops or dressed in regional garb. I must confess, however, that most of the pictures overwhelm me. There are some of sleeping children who probably aren't asleep, but I try to block it out of my mind. And others of men who wear such stern expressions and whose eyes are so full of life that it feels like they're about to move. I finally reach the part dedicated to the Teschler brothers, the portrait artist who set up a studio in St. Gallen and made a fortune. Many of the family portraits only say the name of the studio and the year they were taken. They're from between 1870 and 1890, so Ursula would only have been a little girl at the time. I don't know if I'll be able to recognize her. I walk around a bit until I come to a photo of a group of teenage girls in elegant dresses, posing in front of a backdrop of St. Gallen Abbey. In the photo sepia frame, in delicate handwriting, I can read the names of each one of the girls. I make my way through them until I finally read Ursula Bloom. She's wearing her hair up and has bangs, and she looks nothing like the photo I've seen of her as an adult. I would never have recognized her. But now that I know what she looks like, I can easily recognize her in the other photos in the gallery. She looks even younger in another photo. She has her hair down in this one, but the bangs are the same. And she's sitting in a chair. There's another one of her posing with a woman and a man with a magnificent beard. They're obviously her parents. But the one that catches my eye has her sitting next to a boy her age, with a man wearing spectacles standing behind them. It's not the man from the previous photo. Who are they? The only thing written under this photo is the date. I examine all the photos again. Nearby, there's one of a group of pompous men. One of them is wearing spectacles and looks like the man from the other photo. There's something written in German on the sepia frame, but it's not a name and I can't understand what it says. I start to get a little frustrated until I recognize the man in spectacles in another photo. He's posing next to a table full of flasks and medical instruments. His name finally appears on the frame. Johann Bloom. David, get this. Where are you? Are you outside? Yeah, yeah, and it's pouring with rain. Why don't you call me when you're on the train? No, I need to tell you about this now. Thanks to the photos I saw in Winter Tour, I found out that Ursula Bloom had a cousin her age, Victor Bloom, and that the cousin went on to become a famous engineer. Okay. I also found that her cousin's father, her father's brother, was a famous psychiatrist. I looked him up, and it turns out that he was involved in several scandals. It looks like several families sued him for malpractice. He was forced to stop practicing. But while he was still active, 
guess where he worked as a director. Where? The psychiatric hospital in Geneva. I looked into it, and he was the director there from the year Ursula Bloom was admitted to the year she killed herself. 